Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Laurent, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line. Hello everyone and welcome back to Hold the Line. Now I have a cold this week so if I appear to be slightly sniffy and sound a bit congested that is why it's good that you can't catch it off me over the airwaves so you can just... um. Rest assured on that count, I feel slightly contagious and that I should stay away from other people for their own benefit at the moment. Um, anyway, um, I have a question to start with. Actually, it's two questions. Victoria, I have your two questions here. So um, let's do them one at a time. So the first question, reinforcements. This is your question. You mentioned why reinforcing recall every time is so important. That was the last episode, by the way, everyone. So if you haven't caught up on that um, go back and listen to the last episode. Um, but what about other behaviours, particularly retrieving? The retrieve is often the reward for good heel work or a great stop whistle, etc. So should you always reinforce the delivery to hand like you would with recall because it's vital? Or as a retrieve is the reward, should you stop as soon as possible because you wouldn't reward your dog for eating a treat, playing tug, etc.? Right, yes, that's a good question. <clears throat> um, so what I say about that is there's a short answer and there's a long answer. So the short answer is yes, reinforce the heck out of everything you like all the time, always, when you're training. And when you're working your dog. So if you're on a shoot like we talked about last time, again, you want to be reinforcing everything. So it's not just the recall, reinforce everything that you like. Reinforce heel work every single time the dog looks at you, or if you like that. Um, Reinforce um, the retrieves when the retrieves are brought back to you. So you want to be reinforcing everything all the time, um, as far and as much as possible. And... I think I tried to explain this last time and what I said last time kind of applies to other behaviours as well. So not just the recall. So the uh, the thing with gun dog work is that as your dog gains experience and as you continually put your dog in a working environment, the environmental reinforcers will start to take over from your own reinforcers. So the dog will start to, for example sit to flush if they're a spaniel or hbr because they want to be released to either hunt on or retrieve so um and again your dog will start to walk beautifully at heel if you've got a retriever because your dog will want to be released to go and get whatever it is you're sending them for so over time the environmental reinforcers will start to take over but you don't need to push this process or have it as a goal or objective or agenda or something you need to get to quickly it will happen naturally in its own time inevitably as your dog gains experience in the field so it's not really something that you even need to consciously think about you may need to think about it a bit when you're doing sort of if you're doing puppy working tests or if you're doing kind of earlier forms of assessment where you're not allowed to use reinforcers and your dog's not quite at the point where they find the behavior itself innately reinforcing yet then you may this is something that you may need to think about and in those situations I suggest that um, you know, you're gonna if you're doing a test, for example, you would take the retrieve, um, put, the, put the lead back on the dog, um, hand the dummy to the judge, and walk away. At which point, you would then deliver your reinforcers. So it's well away from the test situation. Now, you can give your marker word when the dog delivers, for example. So the dog puts the dummy in your hand. You would say yes or nice or whatever your word is. 
um, then put your lead on, hand the dummy to the judge, walk away. And then when you give your dog the reinforcer as you walk away, the dog's going to know that that reinforcer is for the yes or the nice or whatever your marker word was that you said when you took delivery of the dummy before you put the lead back on. So there is a way that you can um, still use these reinforcers in, a, in, a, in test situations. Um, so that's the first thing that I would say. So the other thing I would say about um, to unpack this a little bit with the retrieve, because people often get a bit confused about is the retrieve itself innately reinforcing? So the thing I would say about the retrieve is that for many dogs, not just gun dogs, but many other breeds of dogs as well, what is reinforcing about the retrieve is not the bringing it back to the handler part of things. It's the chase part of things. It's the um, go and get it. It's the running out. It's the grabbing the thing. It's the part of the retrieve, which is to do with the sort of um, predatory sequence as, of behaviors, which most dogs have innately hardwired into them. So that's what is reinforcing. But it's not necessarily reinforcing for the dog to bring bring the thing back to you and that's why you often for many dogs which haven't done the click and retrieve process you'll start you will see this really fast run out to the item and then a really kind of bored lethargic ploddy return back to you even if they deliver it to hand so that's because that second part of the sequence the bringing it back is not really innately reinforcing so that's the bit that we actually we do need to reinforce the heck out of so yes when we do the click and retrieve we can build emotions into that's your next question i will get onto in a minute but you can build those that drive in to the clicker retrieve when we're doing it and that's it's kind of designed to achieve that so a lot of the way that we are we're moving away from the dummy and we when we're throwing the treats at the beginning away from the pickups that the dog is doing that's all building in a lot of um running away to get the treat and running back to the dummy so we're kind of building in that drive through the clicker retrieve process and we can then help that sort of remain there and continue that to be there by continuing to provide a reinforcer when the dog brings the dummy back so i think there is kind of this sort of there are there are people who are positive slash force free gun dog trainers who still have this kind of we need to get away from using treats thing kind of lurking over them or on their shoulder and I'm not like that at all. I think we should really liberally use treats and reinforce the heck out of everything. And I've never really had a problem with that with my dogs. Um, Yeah, so just give, yeah, continue to give your reinforcers when the dog brings back the dummy because the bringing back part and the delivery to hand part is the bit that's not innately reinforcing for the dog. And you really want to continue to keep that strong and... um, to give the dog a motivation to do that quickly and with drive and enthusiasm. So, yes, and that's the difference because you said in your question, you wouldn't reward your dog for eating a treat, playing tug. Yes, but that's because those are primary reinforcers. So eating a treat and playing tug is the reward, is the reinforcer. And with the retrieve, as I said before, the reinforcer is the running out to the thing. It's not the bringing it back and the delivery to hand. That's that's not particularly that reinforcing for for, for dogs innately. Um, so yeah, reward, reward the heck out of it. And your second question, dog emotions and the clicker retrieve dog is perfect with delivery to hand when it is thinking mind, but plays keep away if over aroused or frustrated, i.e. practicing steadiness. Is there a way to build emotions into the clicker retrieve? How would you do this, especially with steadiness? Or does it just highlight clicker retrieve has not been taught properly for long enough and that the dog needs to go back to basics again? Or are there any ideas for making steadiness situations less frustrating and the dummy less overexciting? Yes. So the answer to this is not necessarily the clicker retrieve. Um, if you've got a really fantastic retrieve that's working well in the house, for example, and, and in you know not over arousing situations, then the solution isn't the clicker retrieve process. The solution is um, to work with those arousal levels and think about ways that you can break this down so to go from a retrieve in the house which is boring to a retrieve outside in the field with the dog you know really excited really wanting to run out there and get it um working on steadiness and the dog kind of being denied that retrieve um it's just it's just like going from sort of force two to force ten as it were without having practiced three four five six seven in between steps so yeah, basically, you would 
for example, go to the fields, because that sounds like that's an environment where, where this starts to happen, and you would find a, a level of arousal or excitement where this is not happening. So, for example, what I sometimes do is have the dummy thrower go boop, boop, boop in a really boring way and then place the dummy on the floor at their feet um, and see if the dog can bring that back to hand and if that's not too exciting. And then the other thing you can do is manipulate the distance between, if we're doing marks, the distance between the dummy thrower and the dog. And so ironically, further greater distances and higher throwing dummies are more exciting, for example. And having the dummy thrower closer to you and having the dummy thrower just placing the dummy on the floor is less exciting, for example. So those are things you can work, you can experiment with as well. So once you find, you need to find something that is done with somebody else doing the dummy, um, whether it's placing it or throwing it, and having that in the field. And you need to find something that's successful where the dog's able to go out and bring it back. And then once you've found that point, you can then progress gradually from there. So you can progressively have the dummy throw, throw slightly more exciting dummies, or which means slightly higher dummies, and slightly further away from from the throw themselves and they can also um make more exciting noises when they throw the dummy and they can stand progressively further away so you can gradually move away from that but you need to find that sort of starting point that place where it's working properly and yet you're still in the field with someone else doing the dummy thing so experiment with that a little bit the other thing that often works is finding a way to sort of in between retrieves with dogs like this which are very excited finding a way to help them get back in their thinking mind so there are various different things that might work for different dogs um but you could try for example some find it so the thing about working outside with grass is that grass is a fantastic natural snuffle mat so you can just take some treats and break them up into little bits and put them at your feet and say find it find it and keep the dog sniffing for those treats that's going to be naturally relaxing for most dogs um, you can try close your mouth which I quite like because it's again helps the dog calm himself down so close your mouth is a bit related to Leslie McDevitt's take a breath and you can find close your mouth in my gun dog book in I think it's towards the end middle to end of the book there's a chapter on closing your mouth so basically the reason for that is when dogs get excited they tend to pant and that's kind of connected to their over arousal now, if we can help the dog close their mouth and not pant, then the dog does calm themselves down. And it's, it's bizarre, this, because it's a bit like you'd think that the emotional state is what results in the physical behavior, which is true. But ironically, if we can change the physical behavior, we can in turn influence the emotional state. And the hu- sort of human equivalent of this is the Superman pose that people um, have done in human research so we've done some research in human, in human research which suggests that if you assume a superman pose which is standing with your legs apart and your hands on your hips in a sort of superman i am strong and powerful way and you maintain that pose i think it's for a minute it might be a couple of minutes i'm not sure how long exactly but if you maintain this pose um and then you go into a stressful situation like a job interview for example or something like that then you will come across as more confident more assertive more powerful more you will you will actually portray what you that is pose that you assumed and this this is the case however you felt about whatever it was before so basically the physical posture that you assume affects the way that you feel influences the way that you feel and can help you feel something that you might not have been feeling otherwise and the same thing goes for dogs i believe so if we can help them close their mouth which is a less aroused state then we can help the dog get back into their thinking mind so Close your mouth is a really useful behavior. I won't go into how to train it here because we'll be here forever, but maybe that's another episode. But yeah, there was a chapter in my book on how to train it. So yeah, you can look at close your mouth so that the dog starts to um, focus on you more. And once you're kind of doing these behaviors in between each retrieve, um, that will really help too. The other thing is just give the dog something easy to do if you want to reduce frustration. So if you're kind of denying the dog from getting that retrieve rather than the dog just getting nothing in between each retrieve you can be doing some hand targeting uh, you can be doing some watch me's you can be doing a little bit of heel work which you're reinforcing but the, the idea is that the dog gets another reinforcer so it's not you know they don't get nothing when they when they don't get a retrieve and you're working on steadiness the other thing to say is to think about how often you are putting your dog into situations like this so if for example you train by yourself most of the time 
Um, and then say once a month you go to some group class where your dog is around other dogs and suddenly there's someone throwing dummies and there are shots being fired and it's just way more exciting, then this event is going to be so exciting for your dog, comparatively speaking. So I think to some degree you have to try to replicate that a bit more. I mean, it's all very well to be trying to increase the levels of distraction and arousal that you're working with by, for example, the things we've just talked about, throwing the dummy progressively further and all the best of it. But there is going to come a point where you need to progress that into there being other dogs around frequently when you're training and other people um, firing shots and throwing dummies frequently. Um, So there is going to come a point in your dog's development or training where you're going to need to often put the dog into this type of situation. Because otherwise, this situation becomes, because it's so kind of out of the ordinary for your dog, it remains incredibly exciting. Whereas if you can make it kind of a bit humdrum and a bit every day and a bit, you know, this is just what happens all the time, then it can become just, well, every day and not so exciting as a result. So trying to find ways that you can put your dog into a group situation more frequently is definitely um, something to be thinking about as well. So... Um, I hope some of that helps. Cool. All right. Well, that's if anyone has got any training questions, by the way, you can email them to me at joe at dogworks.org.uk. That's J-O at D-O-G-W-O-R-K-S dot org dot U-K. Hold the line. So I just thought I'd talk a little bit next about what I'm doing with Fire. So Fire is 12 weeks. She's our Labrador puppy that we kept from our recent litter. Um, and she's, yeah, 12 weeks yesterday. So <clears throat> I've made a bit of a list here of the things that I am... Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now, the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now, the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. sort of working on with her the main thing that I'm focused on is socialization it's not really training at all that I am invested in although I think there comes a point where the training and socialization kind of overlap and are interconnected in that when there are things that your dog finds a bit difficult sometimes you can use some training some operant training to help them cope with those situations and over time the way they feel about that operant training which is positive because it involves treats comes to be rubbed off onto whatever it is that they were finding difficult so um i know that this is a bit of a a false a false dichotomy but yes i'm focusing on socialization at the moment so every single day in the afternoon we go out with her for a couple of hours um sometimes a bit more sometimes a bit less than that and what we try to do in that time is we try to go to firstly somewhere that she can walk around on the floor so the weather's been a bit rubbish at the moment and so garden centers have been really useful so we've been going to garden centers um various different garden centers i think the one nearest to us is kind of tired of seeing us turning up there again everyone sort of recognizes her um (laughs) she's she's made a lot of friends um so yeah garden centers and we have been to town 
and we have been wandering around um, areas where there are shops, areas where there are people walking around. There's a difference between an area where there are a lot of people walking around. So there's like people, people, people constantly. And an area where there's infrequent people. So there's kind of like nobody and then one or two people walk past you. Um, so what happens sometimes, I mean, you see this a lot with reactive dogs. So you can get to the point where they're fine when there's generally people around or generally um, dogs around. But it's what we call the sudden environmental contrast of something suddenly appearing on the scene that sparks the reactivity. So um, basically, I think these things sort of process differently for dogs. So the, the idea of something suddenly occurring is a bit different to the thing of the idea of it being an ongoing constant in the environment. And so these are two things we've been trying to work on as well. So not just focusing on people, but also focusing on people suddenly appearing, people appearing around corners, um, that sort of thing. If Fire is afraid or unsure and she wants to move away from anything, then I let her. So sometimes that involves like running away and being humanly antisocial, and that's totally fine. Um, so i very, very influenced by BAT, behavior adjustment training, um, which is a method of working with fear and frustration in dogs that's been devised by Grisha Stewart. And I'm a C-Batty, so I've sort of um, gone through Grisha's training and qualified as a C-Batty. So I'm very influenced by BAT and use it a lot um, in puppyhood. So yeah, if, if I wants to run away from something, I'll run with her, even if that means being socially impolite to the person that was approaching, we'll just run away. Um, <clears throat> and <laughs> usually the good thing about puppies, um, sorry, that's Moy digging on her bed in the background. Usually the good thing about puppies is that they come back again relatively quickly. Um, so they don't sort of run away and, and stay away. They kind of, their curiosity, they have curi a lot of curiosity during puppyhood and that really helps them um, overcome slight fearfulness. So um, then we'll just sort of meander back towards whatever it was that spooked her um, and generally meet it. So that's kind of what we've been doing with the socialization thing. Um, we've met livestock and we have also been to lots of pet shops because dogs are allowed in pet shops. We've been inside markets because generally, um, you know, markets that have a roof allow dogs inside. So we've been into those as well. So generally everywhere that we can kind of take dogs, so I've, I've taken her. Um, I have a bit of a list of places so that we, we, we cover everything. Um, and then after our kind of outing to a place where she can be on the floor, and that also sometimes includes different places like the beach or woods or, you know, environmentally different places. Um, then we'll also go to a cafe or a pub and have a coffee and she'll, sometimes she'll fall asleep and sometimes she'll just, um, sit on our laps. Um, and so that's kind of generally what we do every day with her, um, in terms of socialization. And then we're also going to lots of puppy training classes. So I run two puppy training classes a week on Wednesdays and Fridays and my husband Adam handles her in those classes because I find it almost impossible to handle a puppy and also run the class because if I need to go and help someone else with their puppy and I'm handling my puppy it means that I have to somehow um, walk up to the other puppy with my puppy and show them what to do whilst either holding my puppy or trying to prevent the puppies from playing together it just doesn't work very well so basically I need like an extra person there to handle my puppy so Adam brings her to our classes um, and sort of works her in the class and I'll borrow her to demonstrate things and then return her to him. Um, and in those classes, we have off-leash socialization at the end of the class. So she gets to um, play with other puppies and interact with them. And we also have various person socialization exercises in the class as well. So puppies meet people, play with people, get treats from people, and we try to ensure they have positive experiences with people as well. So it's not just training, the socialization in the classes too. Um, then because I want to handle my puppy, <laughs> this is the thing about becoming a dog trainer is you become a dog trainer because really, really you love training your own dogs. And then once you're a dog trainer, all you do is train other people's dogs. And it's really hard to f a find the time to train your own dogs and b you're always running the class instead of being able to be a person in the class. That's what I find anyway. So, so in order to be a normal person in a class with my dog, um, I then take her to other training classes, uh, locally. So we go to another organization which runs two classes a week on Saturday mornings and Monday mornings. And then there's also sort of community dog training organization on Tuesday evenings. Not every single Tuesday, but kind of um, here and there Tuesdays. So um, it actually means that she pretty much goes to a dog training class 
every night of the week, apart from, or every day of the week, apart from Thursday and Sunday when all these classes are running. So it is, you know, quite intense at the moment, but they're all really positive experiences. She's learning to repeatedly work with me in an environment that's really distracting with other people and dogs around. She's getting lots of socialization from being in these different environments because they're all run in different locations, different halls. And she's it's just like an extra whammy of socialization as far as I'm concerned. So it's just, it's really good. Plus the extra benefit and the main reason why we do it, well, not the main reason, but one reason why we do it is because when we come home, she's then exhausted and sleeps and we get peace and quiet and time to ourselves. So as far as I'm concerned, it's well worth like spending an hour with her at a training class so that I then earn three hours of peace and quiet when I come home. Um, so anyway, yes, that's that's kind of what's happening training wise away from the house. And then I train with her meals. So pretty much every meal she has, I'll be training with. So the pups were weaned onto Nutrimen, which is a complete raw food. But now we're really into this quite intense training period. I can't train with Nutrimen, obviously, because it's messy and it's not hygienic. So what I do with puppies and young dogs, I use Zeewee Peak, which is air dried raw. And I break each little flake of Zeewee Peak in half pretty much so that it, to make it go longer and to make and ensure we have more um, treats to train with. So I then train with every single meal with the Zeewee Peak. She does get a very small amount of raw mints still because I have all these supplements. So she gets cranberry supplements because it helps prevent UTIs with, in young female puppies. She gets uh, ProBalance and Geniflora. ProBalance is vitamin mix and Geniflora is probiotic and those are recommended by Avidog. And she gets um, Reaflex Joint Plus because this is a time when puppies really need that. It's when their joints are developing. This was a new discovery to me and I refer you to Avidog for it as well. But basically, I previously was only giving joint supplements to my older dogs. So when I when they thought they were getting old and they would benefit from a joint supplement, that was when I was starting it. And one of the things I learned from Avidog is that actually they need the joint supplements when they're little puppies and growing um, because that's when the joints are developing and that's when the damage is being done as it were. So um, in terms of prevention and ensuring the best outcome for their um, hips and elbows and things, it's best to start the joint supplements when they're little puppies. So we've started that as well. So because she has these powder supplements, we give her a little bit of raw food for her breakfast so we can have something to mix in. And she also gets fish oil. Um, is that all? God, I think that's probably all. Um, yeah, I think that's all the supplements she's on at the moment. Anyway, it's a lot of stuff. Um and yeah, the Zeewee Peak we train with with every meal. So that's kind of where we are. And in terms of behaviours that we're covering, I'm not very focused on gun dog stuff um, with a little puppy. So, um, I mean, the, the main, the only way really, um, the recall whistle is something that we have taught. So she's, all the litter went home with whistles and having their recall whistles. So, so basically that's something that is already established. But apart from that, I'm not really into training little puppies to walk at heel at this age um and i'm i'm not too you know we haven't done the clicker retrieve yet that comes a little bit later so what i'm doing with retrieving is i'm just using i'm just developing the natural retrieve which is what most traditional trainers would be doing with a puppy this age so kind of like teasing her a little bit with with the dummy holding her throwing the dummy out a few meters letting her run after it she then jumps on it she gets it and she she runs back to me with it and she jumps in my lap with it because I'm sitting on the floor. So she she jumps in her lap with my lap with huge enthusiasm, holding the dummy. And then I don't take it off her for a while. I praise her and praise her and I tickle her while she holds it. Um, and then I gradually take it off her again and throw it again. Um, and so we just do a few reps of that. So it's kind of just developing her natural retrieve. I don't see any reason not to do that. I think it's, it's you know, what's conventionally done by traditional trainers. I think it's a great way to, to start things out. So that's what I do. Um, and heel work, although we go to puppy classes and heel work and loosely walking is sort of taught at all puppy classes, we kind of fumble our way through that. It's not something I'm working on at home. And so we probably look really crap at class doing it. But um, that's just because I'm just not obsessed with it with a little puppy. I'm not let, letting her pull. So I'm not letting her tow me around. I'm trying to follow her. I'm trying to keep the lead loose. I'm, I'm trying to stop when the lead goes tight and change direction. Um, but I'm not training her to walk at my heel at my side at this age. I will wait till she gets well outside the socialization period before I start to do that. Um, so that's kind of what we're not doing. So what we are doing, um, we taught her her name. So we said her name and then we clicked when she looked at us and put a treat on the floor um we did the up and down game with the name it's a good it's a good version of that so basically the up and down game is one of leslie mcdevitt's exercises 
Um, it's one of her pattern game exercises. So we put a treat on the floor at our feet and let Fire eat it and then say her name while she is eating the treat and her attention is away from us. When we say her name, she looks up at us or she's going to look up at us anyway because we've got the treat. So she looks up. Um, we click when she looks up and we put that treat back on the floor again. She eats it. We say her name before she's looked up. She looks up. We click. But then we just go backwards and forwards like this. So it's a really good rapid fire way to to train a response to her name. We've been playing with lots of toys daily. Um, I think this is something that I've been a bit weak on with previous dogs. I haven't really... Um, I haven't really valued and encouraged play as much as I could. And I tend to get a bit bored of it, frankly. I mean, it, for people, it is a bit boring, all this tuggy stuff. I mean, a little bit of it is fine. But to do it, like, <laughs> relentlessly and to really get into it, it's just a lot of energy. But I am trying to do it this time. I'm going to see if it makes a difference and what effect it has. Because with Moy, for example, Moy will play tuggy in the house but she doesn't like to play tuggy away from the house in more distracting environments and so i can't really use it as a reinforcer for her away from the house uh, we have to use food which is fine but it'd be great to be able to also use toys so i'm trying to see if i can really put more effort into developing toy play from a young age and if that's going to help so we do that every day as well um attention we sort of we've been doing the um attention as a mother of all behaviors exercise from poppy culture so giving me attention away from the food so it's a food distraction she has to look away from the food distraction to my face for clicking treats we've done some of the early stages of crate games so she will go in her crate on cue if i sit in your bed she'll go in the bed on, on in her crate on cue when we open the crate door she knows she has to wait there until she hears okay her release word to come out so she will just stand there looking she has this really weird look on her face like i really want to come out but i'm exercising self-control so she's like she's looking to the side and being very still until she hears her okay word um so yeah we just did that by repeatedly sh shutting the door if she tried to come out before the word and now she knows she has to wait for the word um i haven't gone through the further stages of crate games like putting the lead on while she stays in there and all the rest of it i don't know if i have a need for that but we will progress through it if we have time there's a massive list of stuff here mat training so we've just started to work on mat training um so we have a mat and we're teaching her to target the mat and go to the mat um as soon as she touches the mat steps onto it i click and i put some treats on the mat um, and then i target her off the mat once she's eaten those treats i target her off the mat with a hand target which is another of the exercises she knows so she comes and touches my hand with her nose, I click, give her a treat, and then she goes back to the mat, and I click when she touches the mat and give her a treat. So we haven't got as far as staying on the mat or lying down on the mat or relaxing on the mat yet. We're just targeting it. So that's what we're doing with that. Um, we had done whistle recalls, and we've done whistle recalls away from distractions. She's really good at that. So one of us waves tasty food around her nose and is verbally and physically exciting, and the other of us whistle recalls her away from that distraction. She's very good at that. Um, we also tried to drop recalls in throughout the day. So, for example, if I'm in the kitchen, I don't know, chopping something up and Fire is playing with her toys or on the other side of the kitchen or just, you know, she's not engaged with me, basically, then I will sneakily have some recall treats in my pocket and I will recall her unexpectedly and give her a treat at random moments. So she doesn't really know when it's going to happen. Um, and we've just started to do that outside in the garden as well. So until recently, she's been going out in the garden to go to the toilet on her puppy house line so that she can't run around the garden and eat all kinds of things and get distracted and not go to the toilet. But recently, we have been taking her out and um, off the lead. And if she gets distracted and wanders off somewhere, I just use it as an opportunity to practice my recall and give her a tasty recall treat when she comes back. So... By tasty recall treat, I mean things like pate, sardines, smoked mackerel, um, really stinky, disgusting things. So, yeah, that's probably why our recalls are really good, because we just use really ridiculously tasty stuff for them. Um, we have done the harness game. So the harness game involves putting a head through the hole of the harness, um, and I click when the harness goes on, give her a treat, take it off, click, um, give her a treat, or mark it with a verbal marker. So... She ends up really liking the harness going on and off over her head. That's the goal of it, because a lot of dogs shy away from the harness. So I started that with a food lure on the other side of the hole and just luring her head through, marking with yes, and then giving her the treats. Um, and it kind of gets to the point now where she will drive forward to the harness because she's almost like wants to put the harness on her head. Um, so that's another exercise we've done. Um... We wanted to work on some tuck sits, but I haven't got that far yet, so we haven't really done many tuck sits. Um, we have just started to do 
front perch work so putting her front paws up on things so you've got a wobble disc that she puts her two front paws on and we've got a paw pod which she puts her paws on and a plate and just trying to generalize that to different things and a bit like a pivot disc it's going to become a pivot disc which is also what we start to work on so um, that's the front paw target um hand target so like i said before we've taught her to target our right hand for a click and treat and that's part of the clicker retreat that's where that's going to come in in fact the main apart from just using it for fun using it as the as part of the clicker retrieve is where i really use that i've just started to teach a chin target as well for husbandry behaviors mainly so that that one is kind of a work in progress um drop we've done drop so we do drop from tuggy play so we're playing tuggy playing tuggy i'll say drop if she doesn't drop then i have a tasty treat in my pocket unbeknownst to her which i then put on her nose she drops the tuggy i give her the treat and then we'll play the tuggy again play drop and then she drops it and she gets the treat and then once we can do that really well for the food then we just use the toy itself as a reinforcer so i say drop she drops i say yay get it and start the game again so that then becomes the reinforcer for for drop we've also done drop on various different objects so if i see her picking something up which she values um so one of the things we've been doing is introducing her to scent work mice and if i see her she really loves these by the way scent work mice are um something used by scent work uk um sorry not scent work uk Ooh, um rival company um talking dogs scent work um and basically they're little soft toys which are like mice and you scent them with well mainly catnip and you then teach the dog to find them once you've hidden them in the room um so anyway it's a version of scent work and um, I'll get onto why we're doing that in a minute, but the, she really loves these things basically. So she will, you know, she's a little, she's slightly possessive over them. When she first had one, she ran away to the other side of the room with it. So this is an object which it's great to practice drop on. So whenever I see that kind of slight possessiveness, I'm going to work on the drop with it. So um, yeah, so she picks it up. I will say drop, and then I'll have a, a, a tasty treat in my hand, usually something like cheese or sausage or something. And when she drops, she gets that. So, and then she picks it up again. We practice drop again. Um, and I'm not really, I don't really care about taking this object off her because she can have it. But I, in seeing her desire for it, it's an opportunity for me to practice drop. Um, so, yeah, so we basically practice drop in those different ways. From drop as a tuggy thing and drop as a, here's a thing that I am holding, which is desirable exercise. We've been doing a lot of work on nails. I told you this was a long list. We've been doing a lot of work on nails and um, we've introduced her to the Dremel. This took me a long time. I was determined to do it. I could see her nails getting longer by the day and I was so frustrated. I was, it was so tempting just to I don't know, get Adam to hold her and just do it. Um, but I wanted to do it slowly. I wanted to introduce it in a really in a good way. So it took us many weeks and I had to just bear with the length of her nails. Um, and yeah we we used um counter conditioning and desensitization to get her to um have her nails dremel so now she will lie down and um i can say yip and give her a treat i'll touch her foot say yip give her a treat i'll pick the foot foot up and dremel a little bit say yip give her a treat um and it's got to the point where we actually are have dremeled her nails so it, it had to be done quite gradually because we we can't hold it there and hold it there and hold it there for too long at this point so it's maybe like three seconds at maximum that, that we're holding it there at a time. So it does take a little while, but she's completely fine with it. She'll just stay in her down position while I do the feet. Um, and it's really, really excellent. So, yeah, that's something I learned from Gray, our Slovakian with her pointer who died a few months ago. Um, she really hated having her nails done. It was absolutely hell to um, do them. And... I just resolved that every dog I had from then on, we were going to fix this. So Moy, got, I got much better and I introduced the Dremel. Um, but Moy, we sort of manage it. So she's basically eating soft cheese off a licky mat while I'm Dremeling her nails. And I can tell that, you know, she's not really that keen on having her nails done, but she'll let me do it as long as she can eat the soft cheese. Um, and with Fire, I just wanted to go a step further. And I was like, no, I should be able to do this. And we should be able to, you know, look, this is possible. Therefore, I should be able to do it. I kind of have, I like to have that attitude when it comes to training. Other people have done this. This is possible. Therefore, I should be able to do it. Um, so anyway, um, that's what we've got to. And I'm really, really happy that Fire lets me do her nails. Um, and we've reached that point. Um, sit, we've got... 
So we've got a really strong default set at the moment and um, hand signal set and she's kind of learning the word hup means set but I don't think that's 100% yet on cue. Um, pivot on with her rear feet so like I said before once we've got the pour up thing happening and she's standing with her two paws or something um, we've got her starting to pivot so that we're doing that with shaping so shaping her to move her rear feet around an object in both directions um, and this is getting better it's um, a work in progress that one it's quite a challenging thing for a little puppy to do but it's really really useful for loads of things like rear end awareness being aware of what she's doing with her back feet um, being able to maneuver her height so it's for heel work for example being aware of where, where her end is and making sure that it's not swinging out into the um, away from me basically but it's tucked in behind me um, and things like that so basically pivoting is a really really excellent thing to be doing it's also great for um, you know if you if you've got a dog walking at heel and you need to spin around 180 degrees to mark something coming down behind the line then you can spin around really quickly your dog will pivot around at your side so it's just a really really great thing it's a great thing for all dog sport dogs to do to be honest because there's a role for it in every dog sport pretty much so yeah that's where we're doing pivoting we are doing just looking through my list here um yeah so scent work i, men I mentioned scent work so we're going to be doing scent two with talking dog scent work uh in i think it's february next year and so i need to kind of cover some of the scent one material so i used to get her into the whole idea of finding this mouse scent work mouse which i meant I'm going to interrupt this fibreless discussion to bring you today's whistle pause. The whistle pause is where an ad break would usually be, but I don't have an ad break. I just have me and my whistle, my trusty T12, on which I'm going to play you a tune. The sad thing about my whistle at the moment is that it's dying a little bit, so bits of plastic have broken off. So it will only blow if I blow it really loudly, then a note will come out. Otherwise, it's this kind of whispery, hoarse, airy, breathy noise. So I've got another whistle on order, and I'd like to reassure you that the, the whistle pause will improve in quality in future episodes. Now, the reason we don't have an ad break here and you have this whistle pause instead is because I don't have a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor because I want to be completely free to recommend the products I want to recommend and I don't want to have to recommend a product that I don't believe in or love in order to get sponsorship. So there are some ways you can support me though because otherwise it is just me making this podcast. So if you like this podcast, there are some simple things and free things that you can do. One is to share it and to tell other people about it and to post it on social media and to promote it whenever you can. The other thing you can do will benefit you as well, I hope. You can check out some of my courses, my online platform, forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon, wherever you live. That is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. before which smells of catnip um and so at the moment i just really getting her into playing tuggy with it and what a fantastic item it is and being really exciting with it um and i can have also reached the point where i'll throw it out i'll go seek it and let go of her she'll go retrieve it and jump in my lap with it um so we haven't got to the point of actually hiding it or putting it outside or anything like that yet so that's still to come but that's what we're doing and i think that's mainly where we are There's loads of stuff that i want to cover and that i want to get onto but that's kind of what we've done so far and what we're working on it's a massive list and it's kind of i don't understand these when i hear people say things like um um my puppy eats too fast my labrador puppy eats too fast or whatever i'm just like how you know why are you not training with your dog's food if you were holding the food in your hand and training the, with the food then it wouldn't be eating really fast and how can you not be training there's just so much stuff to cover um, I always run out of food and I was like, oh, I wish I could feed you more, but then you would be overweight and that wouldn't be great. So anyway, that's one covering with fire, if that's of any interest to anybody. The other thing I forgot to mention is um, vet visits. So every Tuesday, I think we do at the moment, we pop into the vet. So um, we choose a time when 
it's very quiet. So there's a time in the afternoon when at our vets when they're doing surgeries. And so all the vets are behind the scenes operating on animals. And the sort of waiting area is empty, apart from the receptionist. And um, that's the time when we go in. So we go in at that time. We practice targeting the scale. We get on the scale, get clicks and treats. And then I say, okay, she gets off the scale. And then she wants to go back on the scale again because she just loves doing the scale now. Um, so we do that several times. And we see the receptionist and get some treats from the receptionist. And if there's an exam room empty, which often there is, um, we will pop in there as well. And I'll give her some treats for in the exam room. So we're just trying to make this a, a positive place and a normal place that we visit as part of our regular routine. One of my plans now is to make an appointment with the vet um, just to go in and meet the vet and have a fun session with the vet. So taking things at her pace, not for any medical reason, but just to get treats from the vet, to maybe play some tuggy with the vet if if that is going to happen, if she wants to, um, to just hang out there, get some scriptures, just basically have a positive experience with the vet. Um, in the vet practice and you know we'll just take it at fire's pace so if uh fire seems relaxed and wants to engage with the stethoscope and check that out then that's fine we'll do that sort of thing um so basically the idea is just to have a positive experience at the vet and you know the things about the socialization side of things is as well which i forgot to say is um it's really important to go at the puppy's pace and that will be different for every single puppy. And this is one of the hardest things to communicate to new puppy owners because people just aren't very good at understanding dog body language and understanding when dogs are happy with something and when dogs are not happy with something is the first problem. And the second problem is that people have agendas and goals and they want the puppy to do this thing. So they want the puppy to, I don't know, in this situation, um, be completely okay with a stethoscope being applied to their chest. And so they will just go right in there like, we're going to do this thing. And because they don't understand what it means to go at the puppy's pace, how to break something down, how to constantly assess the puppy's comfort levels, relaxation and, and sort of general happiness levels, they kind of push things further than they should be. Um, and then problems arise and the puppy gets afraid. And once the puppy's afraid, it's really hard to come back from that. So... I think this is like one of the most important things during the socialization period. Um, and you should probably check out a recent webinar by Avi Dog. It was just someone called Savvy Socialization. And at the moment, there's just like introduction to Savvy Socialization. So if you go to the avidog.com website and look at their webinars page, you'll see the introduction to Savvy Socialization. I think it's like $20. And it basically is just really, really interesting. Um, and one of the points it makes is that we don't put enough emphasis on what happens after the socialization period so the juvenile period for example that people tend to just stop everything at 16 weeks because they think that that's it we're done that's the socialization period over with let's just stop everything now um and really there is a lot of work that you can continue to do through the juvenile period and continuing to get the puppy out there into new environments and just keep everything going in this time and not just like um let the puppy become a recluse during the juvenile period so that's one of the things. And the other thing is it's about going at the puppy's pace and making sure the puppy's comfortable and these experiences are positive. It's not just about exposing the puppy to things in a sort of checklist way if the puppy's not comfortable with those things. So, yeah, anyway, that's a really important thing to say. But, yes, yeah, so the vet, we're going to go see the vet and have a fun vet visit. We do have one more vaccination left when she's 16 weeks. We'll be going back for the last vaccination. So we want to get the fun visit in before that, as well as keeping up our weekly visits um, to the reception area. I think that pretty much covers everything. Oh wait, there's also hydrotherapy. So there's a great hydrotherapy pool locally um, and we'll be going along to um, take fire there for some hydrotherapy sessions but just as I said before you know she may not actually get in the pool or go swimming for several sessions and that's completely fine so it's all about building up her confidence in these environments until she feels that she is comfortable enough to go swimming for example um so yeah we'll hopefully be starting that soon as well so there's because of the weather is so rubbish at the moment if it was summer i'd probably just take her to the sea or to the river or you know somewhere where i could get her um in natural water but because it's cold and rainy and wet outside i just don't want her first experience of water to be unpleasant um and i also don't really want to wait until the spring when she's well outside the socialization period and much older before she first is introduced to water so hydrotherapy pool is just a great option i think for these for this weather as long as you're working with a hydrotherapist who 
understands the idea of going at the puppy's pace and understands that it's fine if the puppy doesn't swim in the first session or two sessions or three sessions it's fine um, and that you and they don't feel under pressure to see the puppy swimming because remember that's that goal and that's that agenda we want the puppy to swim which is going to result in the puppy being pushed faster than they may be comfortable with so yeah if you have a host therapist that you feel um, is going to work with you in that way then it's a brilliant option I think uh, we also we, we need to go to we've been there once we need to go back again to this multi-story car park so we can redo a lift now that she's down on the ground and an escalator um, and things like that so yeah it's just kind of like a never-ending it's like it's exhausting I think I forgot how I always forget how exhausting puppies are and how time-consuming they are um, and that's why this podcast is late going out everyone because it's it's just there's no time um, all right so I've got a couple more training questions to answer, so I'm going to get onto those now. Hold the line. So first question is from Rachel, who says, Hi Joe, love your podcast. Look forward to hearing more of Fire's training as she grows. I finally bit the bullet and bought your book. So far enjoying what I've read when my kids are asleep. Although I look forward to when it's on audio so I can listen to it in the car. I don't know if it's going to get to be on audio. I have no idea how that works, how to achieve that. I will have to look into it. Um... So the question is, I have a question regarding behavior chains. Not a problem, more me just thinking on material I'm ruminating. I'm currently working through your Click and Retrieve course, which is going well. However, I also recently listened to Hannah Brannigan's podcast on behavior chains, episode 95, which led me to wondering why you train the Click and Retrieve as a forward chain rather than back chain. So anyway, thanks for the good podcast and resources. Really appreciate your hard work, Rachel. Okay, so that's a really, really easy question to answer um so it's just purely practical so the bit of the clicker retrieve which we can back chain and probably do is the hand target so we can teach the dog to do a hand target without a dummy at any age so like i said before fire's already doing hand targeting to my right hand um so that bit we can do now if you move back a step from that you would have the dog holding the dummy and targeting your hand while holding the dummy that would be the step before the end but we can't really teach the dog to do that until they can do a pickup because no dog is going to pick up hold the dummy and target your hand with it if they haven't first been taught to do the pickup so the reason why we why it is chained in the way that it's chained is because the very first thing the dog has to be able to do is pick the dummy up and nothing else later on in the chain is going to happen unless they can first do that bit so that's why it kind of works like that it just has to it can't it can't really work any other way um so yeah anyway i hope that answers your question it's a pretty easy one to answer hold the line so that's all for this week everybody i think i've waffled on enough um i will spare you all any more i have some more training questions i'm looking forward to answering next time and if you do have any you want to add you can email me at joe jo at dogworks d-o-g-w-o-r-k-s dot org dot uk send me your training questions um, you can also pick up a copy of my Gundog book, which is Force of Free Gundog Training, The Fundamentals for Success. You can get that from Amazon pretty much wherever you are in the world. So that's all for this week. I hope you all have a brilliant week and I'll be back soon.